Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to Episode 100 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we have Coach Milt Travis. Coach Travis, in his 35 years of coaching, Coach Travis has taken three different schools to the state tournament multiple times. He has rebuilt four different high school programs based on the principles of fundamentals and intensity. He has taken teams to multiple state Final Fours, but some of his proudest accomplishments are the relationships he has built that former players of his are successful adults and spouses and parents working in different professions, such as lawyers, teachers, bankers, doctors, ministers, armed forces, and more. <clears throat> he is also director of basketball at the Blue Collar Basketball Program. Coach Travis' experience and wisdom has been so valuable to what he is doing with Blue Collar Basketball. His experience in developing players at the high school level for almost 35 years, as well as running highly success successful camps, has helped the Blue Collar Basketball improve their approach. Here are some of Coach Travis's honors and awards. He was the Area Coach of the Year in 1987, Region Coach of the Year, GACA, 1995-1998-2003-2006, Lana Tipoff, Midseason North Coach of the Year, 2006-2007, AJC, selected as one of the top 10 men's coaches in the state of Georgia in 2007, member of 1998-2004 GACA North All-Star Staff. Gainesville Times Area Coach of the Year 2006, Tacoa Record Stevens County Coach of the Year 2012, 2015 Region, <clears throat> Region 75A North Coach of the Year, 2015 Rome News Tribune Area Coach of the Year. Let's talk about some of his accomplishments at Model High School, where he coached for 17 years. Seven state tournament appearances, two region championships, two region runner-ups, four all-state players, 15 all-region and all-area players, two players selected to the North All-Star team. He was also the head basketball coach at Buford High School for eight years, two Final Fours, two Elite Eight, one Sweet 16, two region championships. Now, coaches, you can see... He has had an unbelievable career. We're so lucky to get him on. He's going to share what he's doing now at Blue Collar Basketball. Also, he's going to help us with how can you build better relationships with your players and also how can you build a great program. So he has built unbelievable programs, uh, not only at Model, but at Buford and also at Rome. So he's going to really share with his, his uh, experiences some of the great things he has, he's doing now on building skilled basketball players over at Blue Collar Basketball. Coaches, welcome Coach Milt Travis. Coach Travis, welcome. Hi, Coach. Hey, Kevin. Good. Hi. What's going on? It's good to hear from you. It's good to hear from you also. Excellent, excellent. Hey, just tell me at any time uh, just how the sound and everything is. Make sure uh, we can hear each other. Um uh, I hear you fine right now. Do you hear me okay? I hear you great. Hey, hey, it's great to get. I love speaking to coaches who have done it for many years. I love picking your guys' brains. And of course, I had Jacob on uh, a while back, and we got father son duo. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is fun. I've got two sons to coach, and my daughter even coached for a little while. So 
it's fun for them to be in the same business and, and trade ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you guys have inter- interesting Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas holidays, I'm sure. But you probably don't talk hoops, do you? Oh, all the time. Uh, my daughter-in-law calls it the basketball mafia. <laughs> hey, Coach, uh, you been, uh, you coached for 35 years and you're still involved in blue-collar basketball. Just kind of give us a little background of uh, where you've been and where you're, you know, programs you have built. and uh, Just tell us about your journey. Uh, Kevin, it's probably too long to expound on everything. I've had a, I've been really blessed. Um, I've, I've been part of several programs. I've seen programs rebuilt. And um, I've coached basketball 35 years. I coached football for 13 years. And uh, I was even involved in the rebuilding of a football program as a head coach. And uh, so it's been great. I started out model high school and spent 20 years there, then went to Buford for eight years and finished my last two years at Stevens County before I retired from full-time teaching. And then Spent four more years at Rome coaching and teaching, Rome High School in, in, here in Rome, Georgia. And, and the last two and a half years I've been involved with blue-collar basketball. Yeah, you're staying involved. And I know you're doing many other things. And I see a lot of uh, see a lot of stuff you're doing on um, your Twitter account and so forth. You're still involved, right? Because you're all about building relationships. It sounds like you're still involved trying to help out kids. Well, Kevin, basketball and athletics in general has been a blessing to me. I'm, I'm also a school interventionist for the Floyd County School System, and I, I see about anywhere between 20 and 30 kids a week in an intervention job. It's a paid position, and my, my job is to see if I can get them going the right direction. They're usually uh, kids who have just kind of hit a roadblock, and they need to set some goals and, uh, and outline some thoughts so they can get going the right direction. So basketball – as a whole has been great to me. Athletics has been, it is about relationships. Uh, I've never been part of something that uh, wasn't better than when I first got involved with it. Uh, And that has to do with the people I'm around. I've never been anywhere that there weren't good people. And I enjoyed the people that I met and, and especially the players, they've been tremendous in my career. Yes. And and I, I think sometimes maybe us coaches forget, that it is about the players. It's not about us, right? We have to show that humility. You know, um, that's a that's a people thing. And, and you know, we wake up each morning with possibly the idea that life is centered around us and it's an attack on us. And we, we wonder how we feel and what we're thinking and all those things come about. And there's a shift in there that we have to sometimes do where we go away from being self-centered to being uh, servant-centered, or um, in my case, uh, my spiritual belief carries me into that. But uh, it's it's not a it's not a uh, self-serving business, coaching or teaching or any type any type of business with people. Uh, it's supposed to be about others, and the more you can invest in other people, the better you seem to be yourself. And and being more servant-minded serves itself as far as our own personal health. <laughs> Hey, Bill. Hey, Coach. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Um, I was asking you about um, it's hard. It's hard for coaches to show that humility simply because I think there's a lot of programs out there that are all based on, you know, the coaches one loss. Do you think that's a major problem these days, why coaches have to take shortcuts and really focus on their own jobs? 
Uh, yes, uh, and it probably has always been a problem. It's uh, something that's the way of the world. We tend to place our value in worldly things and, and not in the things that are important, and the kids are an important thing. But yeah, definitely a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And who were some of your great mentors along the way? I know you've worked for and with some great coaches. Tell us who had an influence on you. Um, Kevin, some of the names I would give you would be names that um, um, that just were powerful to me and probably aren't worldly known names, but they were impactful people in coaching like Naaman Wiseman, a, a football coach from the Rome area who was my father in coaching. Um, uh, a man named Rick Howard, um, very impactful to me. Uh, another man named Gary York, who played professional baseball that I coached with early on. My first principal, Wayne Huntley, was a state championship football coach, but even a better-known basketball coach. Then I went into working with um, a man named Andy Aiken, who was a tremendous influence in my life, like a big brother, and, and coaching in the, just very good. And then I, I um, had so many good people when I was working at Model High School, there were so many people around me in my day-to-day life, impactful leaders that uh, led in local churches or just uh, people I would listen to. I was like a sponge soaking up things. And then I transitioned to Buford and met a lot of more good people, some people that uh, I still maintain relationships with. You know Gene Durden, and uh, we coached together. And then uh, from there, I went to – I was 28 years in only two schools, but then – I got involved at Stevens County High School and only spent two years there, but met some great, great people there that are friends of mine and, uh, again, were impactful people to me. And uh, Jeep Cunningham, a uh, former basketball coach, a principal named Felton Stevens, who had been a head college football coach, who was my principal. And and uh, along the way, I met others. Uh, there's a man out there named Fred Overton who had been head coach at Murray State University, Ohio Valley Coach of the Year, who had a son play for me. It was a great, great spiritual man in my life, but also had been a former head college coach. When I was a high school kid, I knew who he was. And years later, he shows up in my life with his child to play for me and uh, spent a lot of time talking life and basketball. And so I, I could go on and on and on about the different names. And I've left somebody out, I'm sure, along the way. Um, I, I have friends today I communicate with. I, I love people and I like being around people. I love my children. They impact my life, my wife does, but I've had teachers along the way that uh, I've enjoyed learning how they teach and how they relate to people. And, and uh, I've never been in a situation where we, where we rebuilt that I didn't have somebody in the faculty, more than one person who uh, didn't in, impact us in a positive way. They just showed up and gave support and um, put it out there. And then then you talk about your assistant coaches. I've had, I, I've had so many tra- great people in my life as assistant coaches that Went on and did other things. Um, I've had at least five guys going into being head principals of high schools. I got a guy that's a lawyer now, civil liberties lawyer, that uh, is still a great friend. And uh, it's amazing uh, the the coaching tree, the relationships you build, um, the opponent coaches that you work against become mentors. And uh, so I can't identify single people very well. I mentioned a lot of names there, and I got a lot more I could mention. <laughs> Yeah, and we – I know I pick up things from people all the time. I don't know if it's just my nature or whatever, but, man, I'm constantly learning, even though uh, I've been doing this a long time. And I, I just I just think people who succeed have a love for learning, don't you think? 
Yeah, yeah, they do. And, and you know, I didn't know it was a love for learning. I knew it was a love to – I guess I did know it was learning, but I didn't call it learning. I, I, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to uh, be better at what I did. And I found out that uh, early on I, I wanted to be able to control everything in coaching, and uh, I, I learned that I didn't have to have control of it. I had to have an uh, impact on it. And a guy, I had to be a leader, and I didn't ever expect to be a leader. And I found out that that was part of who we become when we serve others. And uh, it's a very big part of it. So, um, yeah, I, I still love to learn. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Sam Allen, I owe a great deal to with blue-collar basketball. Uh, Sam played college ball with my sons, and today he's my boss at blue-collar. And, and we discuss raising children. We discuss basketball. We discuss relationships with people every week. And I enjoy listening to what he's got to say. He's a guy that's hungry and in search, and so it adds to my life. And I've got a text list that I, I go to every week. I, I, there are eight guys on that list. All of them are 40 years of age or younger. And uh, I text them, but there are eight guys who have impacted my life in a positive way, either through working with me or discussing basketball with me. Sam's on that list. My children are and some other guys. And, uh, and I learned from them. I've, I've told them more than once, you're part of the big eight, and I learned from you. That, that's an important message for us coaches because we need, we need people we can throw off ideas or give us honest feedback. Uh, I know I have a friend, Coach Pete Acott, um, who's been around a long time in basketball, and I can call him up right now. He's going to say – he's going to give me some honest appraisal of what I'm doing, and we need that, right? Yes, we do. And uh, I have a man that um, I uh, was in education with for years. He was my principal at Model High School named Glenn White, Dr. Glenn White. He's president of Georgia member, Georgia High School member schools. And uh, he's also my boss today in my intervention job. And uh, we're the same age and we discuss a lot of things. And But he'll tell me boldly and honestly where I'm at. And I've told him a few things, too. And so we've had a, a working relationship that, that makes us better at what we do. And we appreciate each other. Again, that list goes on and on and on like that, and I and I like those uh, I like those moments, even though they hurt sometimes and they're too real. But um, Jeff Simpson, a, a great football coach at Buford for years, today's with the Falcons, uh, said one time that we all have our blind spots in coaching, and it's up to us to find people who help us address those blind spots. And uh, it could be your spouse, or it could be your family, it could be a, a person in the education field with you, it could be your assistant coaches. And for me, that's many. Um, that list of eight guys I talk to show me a blind spot all the time, even not intentionally, just by their own ways of they live their life and they discuss things with me. And, uh, and again, I've got people around me that do that often. And it's hard to find people like that, particularly, don't you feel, Mel, it's hard to find people in the schools you're working at, to be honest with you. Why don't we see that more? Because I think it's needed more – a lot of times people say what you want to hear, but they're not honest with you. That, that, that's, a, that's a problem these days, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and I think that goes back to our own transparency. Uh, it's hard to be transparent and open to people. And when we're able to do that, I think those people will step forward more. I, some of the best people I've ever come across are people in the field of special education. Um, they have put it out there because they're going to advocate for their kids. And so I've met people at every school I've ever been at who stands up and says, I want you to take time with my student, and I want to know why. And I'm not just talking athletically. I'm talking sometimes in the classroom. And I, I watched and learned those people advocate for their uh, students. And 
I realized that's, that was my role in sports. I'm supposed to advocate. I, I was on the phone with the high school football coach today that's um, from a state-ranked team over in Alabama, and we were talking about what's right and wrong when you defend your players you know, on, the, on game night. And uh, there's a certain ethics that you have to have and integrity you have to operate with, but then there's a certain uh, part that those are your players and those are your, your children, and you're there to advocate for them. And, He's in that mixed world of he's been a special ed teacher and he's a head football coach at a very well-known school. And, uh, and you know, I, I said, what would you do in the classroom? And, and he, you know, he spoke to that. I said, why would it be any less as a football player? You know, why would you not advocate for your child? Yeah, I love that. I'm not um, – and I think what you're, here, what you're saying, Milt, is um, you have to – a lot of times coaches feel like, you know, they have to step up for their – their players, particularly on the field, by yelling at referees, things like that. But it's more than that, right? It's more – sometimes I even saw something today where, you know, there was a bad call. I think it was the Oklahoma coach. There was a bad call, and he was yelling at the referee. And I, I felt like probably at the best time was, hey, back off, handle the situation with more poise, kind of blaming the ref. I know that's a little bit different what you're saying, but I think you need not always you have to stand up and be vocal for your player, particularly with referees. You, you know, Kevin, I, I'm not the best guy in the world to discuss that with because I am an over the top. I don't know if you know my background, but very over the top, intense uh, game day competitor and practice person. And I'm considered yeah. an easy I'm considered an easygoing person in life. And I, I want to say that I operate with a Christian heart. But when it comes to competition, I sometimes cross that line and not in the name of what I believe spiritually, but uh, I sometimes cross that line and I have to get reined back in. That's why good assistants are important. That's by why reflections from your own players are important that you have to be able to say to a referee, sometimes I'm wrong. I want you to understand where I'm coming from, but I think there's a balance in there. And as I've gotten older, I've probably mellowed. Uh, and, and some people would laugh at that because they don't ref see that. I just uh, quit coaching two years ago at Rome and, and I was still super intense. And I would be today if I walked back in. I was intense as an AAU coach for Blue Collar this summer. But, um, yeah, there's a balance in there. It's very difficult. And I'm not an expert at that. I, um, I, I want to uh, – I, I read something by John Gordon the other day that talked about leadership being a, an art, not a science. And you can study the aspects and the makeup of it, and it can make you better. But there's an art in management. And my wife and I discussed today about um, – how do you uh, how do you uh, love children yet be tough? How do you uh, you know push children yet be loving? Uh, how do you uh, and you, you're you teach I think all grade levels, don't you? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, from uh, kindergarten all K to K twelve. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you're a person that's in the world where you uh, you're in the world of high fives with the young kids, and then you're in the world <laughs> of even being acknowledged by the middle school, high school kid, and so you understand the differences in, in personalities and that balance of, uh, of uh, letting them know you love them yet being tough and uh, considered and not, and not giving them a sense of entitlement. Our world today gives a sense of entitlement and, uh, and we don't want that. I don't want that for my athletes. I didn't want it for my children. I wanted it to be a work ethic um, part of their lives. And that's what athletics was going to bring to them. If you work hard and you do what's right, you're going to see something from it and it's going to be part of your life. that's very rewarding and uh, today we want to think if we pay our money or we just show up or we put so many reps in, then we're entitled to play. Well, that's, that's not how it works. Uh, that's not real life for you or for I or for anybody, you know. So you 
to not allow your kids to get entitled on the back. For example, now with blue collar, I mean, they expect to kind of learn a skill right away. And it's like, no, things take, it's a process, right? Uh, it's definitely a process. And, and, and I'm going to speak to that a little bit. Uh, uh, because you're, because you're a coach, it doesn't make you an expert trainer. And because you're a good trainer, it doesn't make you a great coach. Um, you can learn to do both. Uh, I'm still learning the training end. I've got quite a bit of experience from the coaching end. Um, hopefully you've been very good at development if you were a coach, but sometimes we're not. We have people that aren't great at development and in coaching. They know how to manage the team and, and do some other things, but uh, um, it is a process. And so what we bring into uh, blue collar is that essence of hard work. I think I'm working for the best. And, uh, and, send it back to this coach and say, you know, uh, your coach is, you know, going to play you. We promise you he's going to play you because you've worked with us. What we can only point at is that hard work brings results and results will get you in a more competitive situation. Yeah, that's a great point. And basketball skill development, tell me if I'm wrong, it's an inexact science. I, I see a lot of coaches doing a lot of drills and things like that. I think there's times when you really have to walk through and allow the kids to kind of feel their way and you got to teach them through it, but you got to allow them to make mistakes. And it's not all about the drills. It's the skill, correct? Yeah, that's old Don Meyer saying, would you rather have at the end a uh, better, uh, better drill player or better skill player? And we would all rather have a better skill player. Um, Gene Durden and I sat down a few years back, and it's probably been 15 years ago now, and we talked about the essence of three things to develop a better player. And then we said uh, a good conditioning program, um, great skill work, and then you've got to play against good people. And that's in-season, out-of-season playing against good people. It's, uh, you know, the better people you can play against, the better your decision-making is going to be as you get down to tournament time. So you can you can be a, a poster person for uh, – skill work and be on all the videos, but you may not be the best decision maker in the heat of competition. And then you may be all of everything as far as skill work, and you may be able to do a lot of good things like shoot the ball. But if you're not in good condition, you don't put yourself in a competitive situation either. So you can't drop any of those three and expect yourself to be competitive. And even with that, you may not be as good as the next guy. So you, you've got to constantly be a work in progress. Give me an example. Let's say you have – now, do you guys – y'all work in individual one-on-one? Do you do groups? Give me kind of a sample workout you would do. Um, hey, I'm a girls coach, so give me a – I bring you, um, you know, one of my post players. I got a new post player. She's about six foot. Um, what would you do? What would be – What? how would you kind of build her skill level? You know, we, we have individual workouts and then we have group workouts and then we have team workouts and then we have our own AAU team workouts. So we really have four different types of workouts. And um, we believe that every player uh, should learn how to finish around the rim. And that can be off the drive, off the pass, or it could be in a post-up position. And one thing I've discussed with Sam with uh, recently is there's a lot of footwork from the post position that when put with a dribble – or the catch can be a finish move for a guard. So we do a lot of lead up work into footwork um, and knowing that footwork with an up and under move or a drop step move or a, uh, what we call a pivot out of pressure shot 
uh, can be used in the post, can be used off the dribble, can be used off the catch. And there are other moves with body contact. Just power layup is a is a layup that anybody takes. You know, that's a simple po- post drop step move, and it's a pass and catch off the pass and cut off the read and react. But um, we begin a lot of workouts with just simple footwork as we warm up, asking kids to learn how to finish with footwork, and then we add things to it like uh, passing and catching and off the move, and then we add the dribble to it, attack dribbles, and uh, we'll do reps doing that. And it's things that, um, Kevin, to be up close with you, I did for years as a coach. I didn't have the terminology that we use with BCB, and, uh, and some of that is point guard college terminology. And what they've given me is a, a way of organizing those thoughts even better than I had before. I, I was teaching – a lot of the same stuff before, but I, it wasn't quite as organized or as efficient. And I feel like I've become more efficient by teaching it. So I will teach. I do some work on my own in the Northwest corner uh, away from blue collar. And I work on, on Sunday nights. A lot of times I'll work with middle school boys and girls. I'll just teach basic footwork to everybody in the post area. And then we'll add the dribble to it. Like I mentioned a minute ago and we develop it in a progression. And uh, Sam has allowed me to do some of that with uh, the kids I work with one-on-one and we already did some of that when when I joined Blue Collar. They were already doing the finish move progressions, and uh, and it's it's really good stuff. And you can get lost in so many moves that really a kid probably has too many moves, and they probably need to narrow it down and find what they like the best and work on it. But as far as a post player, I, I think it's important they learn to learn to catch and finish. They learn to um, shoot the elbow jumper and then finish off the dribble from the elbow. And then I, I think that it's important that they learn how to catch the ball on the perimeter and know what to do with it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I don't have – maybe I'm just different. I don't have post players. All my kids are versatile. We try to teach them to be basketball players. So all my kids learn how to play in the post, play on the perimeter. Um, even though I have a girl that's six foot, she can now go out on the perimeter and handle the ball, even shoot threes, because we're really trying to develop a better basketball player. Um, what do you think about that as, as player development? You know, um, I, I was one of the first people to run the read and react. I'm friends with Rick Torbett. And um, sure. he approached me early on about running the read and react and trying it. And we tried it as a shell offense to begin with. And Jacob was with me when we began it. And it, it just developed into one of our base offenses. And it's a principal offense instead of more less of, you know, it's, it's not a set pattern. And you know the read and react. But uh, – um, I was a guy that spaced the floor early on in what I called a one game. And so I had – I was playing positionless basketball way back. I found out who could post well, and I put them in a position to dive and catch ball, but there were, were people at the top who caught the ball and either shot the three or sit picks and played to their strengths. So the greatest player I ever coached went on and played at University of New Orleans when it was Division One, and then he went on and played in Europe 15 years. And he was one of the post players in the isolation game, and that was before the read and react for me. And uh, – so we were taking guards and putting them in the post and taking post and bringing them out to the perimeter way back. And so I believe I had a better player. And I even expected my own two children to do that. And uh, I felt like the skill level that they were gaining would allow them to do a lot of things. And so I've been that guy for years and believe in it. And uh, do I believe still, you know, we have this debate sometimes weekly about the post game because, you know, the post game has uh, disappeared in some people's offensive minds. And, and I don't right. think it has. I, Christy Thomas works with us, who was an All-American and All-SEC at Georgia and played in, in the WNBA. And 
her and I will laugh and talk privately about the fact that, you know, the postgame is still alive. And uh, it may be with a guard or it could be with a big person who's learned how to play on the perimeter, but it's still there. So I, I believe in what you're saying tremendously. And, and uh, I, I think that we can support it with uh, picking out certain people and, and talking about them. Yes, and I um, and I love what you were saying because I, I'm a I'm a total believer in I just call it I just call it pace we call it pace and space and we spread people out and really coach we got two rules we got pass cut drive kick yeah uh, but but tell me how you would teach we teach this very you know a hard you know hard basket cuts try to beat that defender you know on that first on that first move and then. Driving kick, we got to be able to teach ball handling and first step dribble. I mean, how would you approach that? We have to work on that stuff every day, Coach. I mean, it's hard, but it's simple. Simple concept. Well, it is. And do you, are you hearing me okay? I, I'm not hearing you quite as well. I heard what you said, but I, I hear you great. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I would do it every day. I think it's uh, you know I'm an old football guy. I was a I was a walk on college football player, and I was around the game and. And uh, if what you did, uh, it's what you worked on. And I watched and, and thought about basketball. I grew up in Kentucky and basketball. And, you know, we were fundamentally uh, drilled every day. And, uh, and from the time I was young, I was learning fundamentals. And, and um, what Rick has organized and, and what other coaches have done by giving us continuity offenses, we're able to work on the skills that you're talking about, skills that are basic to the game and not have to spend time on sets necessarily we get to spend times on fundamentals and then put some defense out there against it. You know, the hardest part of basketball to me is decision-making. And that part includes passing and catching. And so if you can eliminate a team's decision-making uh, abilities or you can hurry them, you have a great shot at beating them, even if they're a better, more talented team than you. And so what you're talking about is the two concepts you just mentioned are decision-making concepts. And you have to teach them without defense, then you have to teach them with defense. And then you have to put them in the, in the, uh, the context of a game. And, uh, and when you perfect those, then you become a competitive team, no matter the talent level, because you're able to execute an offense that gets you points. And, uh, and um, decision-making is so important. And, and you're, I think you're on to the right thing when you do that, no matter what offense you choose to run. Um, you have to be able to incorporate the basic skills into what you're doing, or you could get lost into a play and never have that better player. You just have a guy who is better at sitting a pick, you know, or he's just better at a girl that's better at just uh, looking for the post player. And uh, we want to make a better player overall. Yeah, that's ultimately what we try to do. And I, I think um, <clears throat> I think if the coaches that are listening, I think, yes, focus on building skilled basketball players first. And then trying to develop a winning offense because I think you got to have that that one before the other. Coach, you have built a lot of great programs, and talk about. I know you built them at Model and Buford. Talk about how you did it at Rome because it sounds like you had to really build a new culture there, and also Stevens County. What you did there, you know, Kim. Um, uh, every place I've been, and uh, and. Um it's been different and uh, there's some likenesses because they're kids. And uh, I, I had a list at one time of 20 things you do to turn a basketball program around. But the idea was you couldn't do all 20 at any one program. And I, I would like to go back and find that list. I was sharing that with Sam the other day. And you can have a list like that of what you've done where you're at. 
but that list didn't fit everywhere. So uh, I had to look at the variables I was involved with, the school itself, money. Of course, when I went to Buford, I had greater resources than I did at Model or the places afterwards. But a, a place like Stevens County took care of their kids, and, and they had better resources than I did at Rome. And um, then you deal with the culture of the kid, where they come from. And, and um, you know, that, that comes into play. And, and what type of world do they walk in the door from? And, and um, leaving Rome was very difficult for me because I loved the kid there. I, I had basically an inner-city kid. I had a few kids that were, that were uh, out in the community. Uh, but most of my players came from the inner city. And, and um, I, I, my only losing season there was my last year. And we had to cut – I was sharing this the other day. We had to cut 50 kids that year. Wow. And we kept 35 <laughs> in the program. So we were healthy yeah. in numbers, healthy in attitude, healthy in progression of culture. But we weren't quite as good talent-wise that year. And uh, we had played for a region championship just two years earlier. And the leader of that team is now playing for Kennesaw State in football. And he, he's projected as an All-American NFL draft pick, but he was a tremendous leader. And uh, he changed his mindset while we were there. He went from being an uh, anti-coach person to being a guy who reaches out to me. If I, I lost my mother a couple years ago, he was the first person to reach out to me. Uh, we communicate, and uh, and he's very much a, a coach-friendly guy who uh, his college football coach said to me, we, we ask all of our linebackers to play and act like him and carry themselves like him. And so you think about the change in culture, there are certain variables that hold true everywhere you go, and that's you got to care for your players. And they've got to know you care for them. You may not be their best friend, but they've got to know that. And, uh, and again, you're willing to advocate for them in the hallways, and you're, you're willing to do what's right, even if it's not what they want. There has to be that common thread in every program. But then you get into some situations where – some players don't need you to step in the place of their parents um, because their parents are strong and healthy there and they're in the home. And then you enter some programs where there needs to be more of a parent figure or sometimes a male figure, or in the case of a girl's coach, a father figure, you know, uh, that they don't have, but um, you know, it, it goes different places. Um, model was a model had not won 12 years when we took over there and I grew, they taught me as much as I taught them and model was home and still is today. I, I live near the school in, in Rome, and, uh, and I'm around a lot. I have a grandson in the middle school program, and my son coaches there. And it's built off of a philosophy that we, we started, of the poor hungry dog idea, and we play extremely hard. And then we went to Buford, and great athletics, great tradition, and a lot of sports. And the uh, program had just played in the state championship just two years prior to that, but they had become a little bit fragmented, had a, a, a replaced a great coach who just – there were some variables in there that weren't conducive to th some things that were good. And so the goal was to bring football and basketball back together. And we did that. We, uh, we, we, when I left there, we had 20 of our 34 kids were football players at the time. And today that's not true. They've grown into a bigger school and they don't share as many athletes anymore. And um, went to Stevens County and winning was not happening anymore. They had one under the guy I mentioned a minute ago, Jeep Cunningham. And they had not won. And we had to look at the variables again and relook at them and think about it. And there was a lot of, a lot of culture change and a lot of uh, expectation levels. And the, the every program I went into, decision-making was the thing that was not doing very well, at, uh, being done very well, whether it be on the floor or off the floor. And so what we started interjecting was decision-making while you have the basketball or what when you don't have the ball on the floor, what's your decision-making like in the locker room? What's it like in the hallway? What's it like when you're out in public and – and uh, at Stevens County, uh, we had a conversation one day where I said, some of you guys think you can drive where I live near Buford, and I wouldn't ride across the parking lot with you because of your decision-making. 
And uh, one of my assistant coaches just died laughing. The kids didn't quite understand, but we had to bring them to the idea that just because you think you're good at what you're doing doesn't mean you're good and you should be hungry. And so they came together under that idea in a short period of time. And that program went from being 0-24 our first year to winning 17 games our second year. And uh, tremendous turnaround with a tremendous response. Hey, Coach. Hey, Kevin. Hey, continue on what you were saying. Um, hey, because right now we're in the fourth quarter, my friend, so we got to fit really strong right here. Well, I, I want to talk to you about the, the clinic also that's coming up. Yes. I'll, I'll wrap up practice and then if you me that question, be fine. That, that'll be great. Yeah, continue on. You were saying, you, I think you finished with your, um, you got to have a yearly plan. Yeah, I think, that, I think you build off of your philosophy to a yearly plan. Then you build off your yearly plan to progression of And then you start breaking down the daily practices. And I don't think you have to be tied to a, uh, a, t- a practice that is so constraining that you don't uh, make it fun for kids. But I think you also – uh, need to move it quickly, move things around, and 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 make things uh, move quick for the kids. But you have to be able to to put everything together to make practice work, from the uh, skill work to the uh, conditioning to the um, to the uh, team time, where you build decision making skills and you also uh, get game type savvy. Kevin, one thing I had to become better at later on in my latter years was a. Uh, was uh, special situations, and I still would want to improve in that if I was coaching again. And and uh, I, you know, inbounds plays and sidelines inbounds plays, and uh, what you do off of a free throw. Those are things that sometimes you lose track in. So that should be in your general overall practice master plan. And uh, th- there's one part about basketball that's very uh, unique, and it's probably true in many other sports, but the instinctive part is very important. And uh, I was I pressed a lot for a lot of years, and sometimes the more detailed I made the press in practice and teaching it, the less instinctive my players were, and I took the ability to uh, react in games away from them by having them think too much, and so I had to get more structured without being more detailed. I had to go back to what you said earlier about being simple, get working on it every day, and then I had to implement a little bit more detail in the press as I went along because. If I gave them too much to think about early on, uh, they didn't press as well. And uh, I found that to be true in a lot of aspects of the game. If you if you make a player be too, too detail, detailed in each step they take in, in something, then you lose sometimes that instinctive part of the game that makes them able to operate and make good decisions. Yeah, that's a great point. I really want to – I'm going to talk to you about how you break down your press because we press a lot here. Um, I – I tell you, I find more success with emphasis and point system. So every, I, I don't, I don't call it drills. I call it more games that I teach. And even when I'm doing skill development, you know, we'll ask them to, all right, you know, you got to get to this particular point in, you know, a number of seconds, or you have to finish off of two feet here instead of going off of one foot in a power layup. And we give points. For, we have a little clicker that we do. We give points, and we're still competing, but we're, it's more emphasis-oriented, and our girls actually compete better when they do it. What's your philosophy on that? <laughs> I think I need to come watch you practice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think those are great ideas, and I picked up some of that with BCB, and I think girls and boys are different. 
uh, I think uh, uh, we had such a tradition at model and we were growing into that Stevens County in just two short years. We had this happen at, at the other two places, Rome and Buford too, but we had such a, a tradition that in the latter part of my stages there that I didn't have to call on them to compete. It was, they calling each other out. And uh, Sam has asked me my thoughts on communication. And I believe the verbal part of communication is energy building and it's good, but I, I took it for granted in coaching because I got into places where it was very traditional for the players to call each other out. And um, uh, I realized a lot of kids don't do that naturally. And uh, that competitive side helps generate all that. And I think that people are doing what you're doing, working uh, – building a program from ground floor up, building your own tradition, have probably got some innovative ideas in that that need to be held on to and looked at because, uh, because again, every program you become a part of are, are, is different. And, uh, you know, we can learn a little bit from everybody. You know, uh, I was going to ask you before we get off here, uh, I, I learned a definition for teaching PE years ago, and that was maximum participation by the maximum number of students for the maximum amount of time. Sure. Yes. And uh, that was my definition for teaching good PE classes. And all the other little pieces made sense, but I wanted everybody participating at the highest level they could for as long as they could. And that's difficult sometimes with PE because kids are not geared up to always want to be in PE. And, uh, but that carried on over in the camps. Uh, uh, we started the camp 35 years ago. My son runs called the Big Blue Camp. And between he and the Girl Scouts, they'll have four to 500 kids a summer in there. And, uh, um, it's still the same philosophy. That's that PE philosophy. And so when you take that into practice and you organize your practice, the maximum participation by everybody with maximum effort, um, it's difficult to obtain. And we have to have different ideas to do. Uh, sounds like a good one to get. Yeah, absolutely. I hey, give me your opinion, Coach. Uh, well, actually, let me go back. Um Maximum participation because I take my PE philosophy to my to my. Uh, we actually run a lot of tag games for my. The other day we had like my thirty or forty kids out there for our, uh, middle school and high school. We played tag to warm them up. I thought it was the best warm up ever. I think tag is a great, innovative, fun way to warm up kids. Yeah, yeah. I was I worked UAB's I worked Kentucky's camp UAB's camp when I was a young coach. And I worked some other, like Barry College's camp, and I had my own camps. And but um, I worked for Gene Bartow, the legendary coach, and uh, yes. got to know him. And uh, one of the things we did for warmups, where we put kids on on baseline and sideline, and on the whistle they left and started running, and they ran against the flow of each other coming crossways, and they left in the intervals. And you'd have to see it to understand it, but it was about change of speed, change of direction. And uh, that's without the ball in your hands. Now, you could put a ball in your hands and do the same thing. And uh, But you had kids th that began with almost running into each other, and people would say it's chaos. And I'm sitting there looking at Gene Bartow, though. Uh, nobody was going to question Gene Bartow. I mean, that, <laughs> that was a guy that followed John Wooden and was successful. You know, he, he, had, he had built programs at Memphis and there and then UAB. And Coach Bartow talked about – too many players uh, wanted it to be smooth selling, and they had to change speeds and change directions. So the warm-up was going to be that. So when he walked in, many times we did that warm-up. It, it, it was a PE thing, you know, and, uh, but it was successful. It, it, it did teach its point. So they started from uh, opposite sidelines and then blew the whistle, and they 
just ran sprinting to the other sideline. Is that right? No, or- they uh, they started. Uh, he started a group. He had like he had like four lines on baseline, and okay, four, four lines. And this is in a half court. Okay, okay. The guys on baseline were running the half court. The guys on side court were running to the other side. Ah, okay, sure. So, so he started them off slowly, and so he would blow the whistle, and he'd say on the whistle, the first groups from baseline and sideline went. So all they had to do was interact with each other, <laughs> crossing each other. Then he would, as time went along, once they got to the other sideline, they turned around and came back. And so he got to blowing the whistle so quickly that you would have some kids coming from sideline to the other sideline and coming back. So you had two kids going across each other. You had two kids going from half court to in line. And he would be going so quick that kids were stopping and going. And they had to keep their eyes up. And uh, you uh, you could make it however you wanted to. You could blow it as quickly or slowly as you wanted to. And uh, we did that in the early days of the Big Blue Camp just to warm kids up. And uh, you had to be careful because young kids, you could get hurt, you know. But yeah. older kids, it was stopping and going. And he, he would say the game is a game of, of changing speeds, changing direction. And I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. I love that, Coach. Yeah. Well, that's a, P, that's a PE game a lot. You know, that's yeah. – don't touch anybody, you know, and you have kids out there. And there would be some there'd be some foolishness and some giggling and that kind of stuff going on. But it uh, – and, again, you could keep it as slow as you wanted to or you could speed it up. And uh, that was a simple way of teaching – something and getting us warmed up and getting us into it. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, it was interesting. Yeah. And, um, one, one of my favorite coaches, Pete Acock, he, his favorite drill is four on four on four chaos. And he said, it's one of his all time best drills where it's continuous. I don't think we teach enough chaos in practice. I think we really want to have everything just perfect to look good. I think looking good doesn't win. Uh, you're right, and I agree with you on the chaos. And if you're going to be a pressing or a, a running team, or you want to be a highly intense, uh, even if you're more of a half court team, you want to be highly intense. The more chaos you can teach your kids to play through, the better off you're going to be. The more chaos you can teach your opponent to have to deal with. I think uh, again that takes away decision making. Uh, you know, decision making is the premium part of the game that we don't concentrate enough on. And chaos teaches you how to react under pressure. I mean. How do you teach a person to drive a car on a major freeway? You know, you have to eventually put them out there, but you practice under lesser conditions, and then you mirror chaotic conditions, and then you finally put them out there. But uh, you don't ever put them out there, and you and you throw them in. You throw a kid into a game type situation without creating any type of chaos. You're asking for failure, and then who do you blame? Yourself as the coach, the kid. You know? Sure. You know who do you blame? So I, I agree with you. And coach, give me your best drill that Coach Milt Travis loves. I always take the best drill. Give me your best drill that you would use. Right now, if you came back coaching, what drill would you put into your practice? You, you know, uh, Kevin, I, I probably would uh, – um, I probably have several drills, but uh, anything that involves a combination of, uh, of skills, uh, a four-on-four uh, competitive drill, where you uh, maybe switch variables, do some of the things you talked about, like the four-on-four shell drill, where you reward offensive points, uh, where you can teach total basketball defensively, and you might teach your uh, – I'm a read-and-react guy. We taught our read-and-react offense in the four-on-four shell. Um, I, I always would use that. If you told me I was only going to be able to do one thing, I would work four-on-four in the half <laughs> and four-on-four from uh, – four and four from half court or three quarters court too. I picked that up from Seth Vining years ago. 
and uh, in the pressing game, and uh, and and then go from there. We would do the four on four or three on three, and then after the basket was made, we would jump into a press. They had to transition back to half court. So a combination drill, something of those sorts. Uh, I'm going to go back to the drill I mentioned to you a minute ago that we don't use in the training business because it's not. Um, it's probably not necessarily uh, attractive drill to a lot of people, but the co- high school coach called for for me the other day was the four on four rebounding drill because he had the uh, defenders switch according to where the ball was passed to. He had four four perimeter guys that had learned how to catch the ball and they had to catch it exactly the way he wanted them to, and uh, they shot the three, and then uh, the defense had to block the offense out. The offense on the rebound had to. Uh, pick it up and score if the if the shot was missed, and there was no defensive. Road. Have a games approach to really get the lot out of your players, um, but you also have to teach skill. So that's the art of coaching, right? Yeah, did did it pick up what I was talking about? The type of drill I would use. I, I did. It was the four on four rebounding. Well, the four on four, um, four on four rebounding, but also four on four. Defensive shell with offensive. Uh, yes, yes. Of your offense, and you can do that when you have a continuity game. Um, I worked a team out this past fall that we broke down their offense, and we initiated the uh, the defensive shell drill with the beginning part of their set, and so from there we just played basketball. But it was a defensive shell drill too, and so any combination drill where there's rewards on both sides. Uh, and make it competitive, I would definitely go to. Now, uh, any kind of drill that gets a lot of shots up under game situations, I would I would right. use too. I think that's a tremendous way to do it, you know, would be to do that. So, uh, I'm a big believer in, in combination passing and catching and uh, shooting off the dribble or, or shooting finishing at the rim or uh, catching and shooting the three. So, um, there's some great drills out there that are being done that way, and I've seen some of them in high school practices that I would go back and pick up. Would you rather have your players do 100 non-contested threes or 50 contested threes? I think we would all rather have them do contested threes, but here's the thing, Kevin. I don't necessarily want them shooting a contested three. (laughs) So, you know, uh, it depends on what you call a contested three. Uh, I've had great players that could hit the contested three, and I've had guys that didn't shoot well unless they were wide open. So right, we always define the shot as as – one with nobody's hand in your face. And a lot of people will debate this. You know, we go into this debate, uh, a three is better than a two. And uh, I always say, if you give me Kevin McHale in the post, I'll take Kevin McHale over a three unless it's Steph Curry. Now, if you give me Steph Curry, I'll let him shoot three over Kevin McHale in the post. So it has to do with the, has to do with who the individual player is. But I, I would I would want to contest him in practice. Yeah. I think there's a place for all of that, though. I think that goes back to – Running uh, shell offense, then shell, and then offense against the defense, and then playing in a live game. And there's a progression there for all of that. Yeah, definite progression. Uh, Coach, talk about your clinic coming up. We actually have a game on November 16th, but I think is the date. Um, but I would love to get the notes on it. But tell us about your clinic you have coming up at Model. Is that correct? Yeah, it is, Kevin. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you mentioning it. That's the that's a real big emphasis in my life right now. It's, it's We're calling it the Coach's Mindset Clinic. We didn't really have a name to put on it. It's not the traditional coach's clinic. Uh, so much of the coaching game today is, uh, and it always has been, uh, we, we've talked physically for years about, you know, what we do for our players physically. We talk strategy. We talk best drills. 
And uh, what we've got to become more and more aware of is the players we're dealing with, but not only the players, our coaches too, and our, our, our staff and, and our own self mental health. And um, it's funny, when we think mental health, we tend to think mental illness, and that's not the case. Mental health is just like physical health. We're, we all have it, and it has to be constantly worked on. And, um, and if we want to build better people, we need to build stronger mental health. And we need to do that through strengthening it. And so we're bringing in a psychologist, uh, Doug Duke. He uh, works with Fellowship Christian Athletes out of the Jefferson area. Uh, he has a ministry where he uh, works with players and coaches. But he also runs a private practice, which is a family uh, psychology practice. And uh, he's uh, from the spiritual standpoint also. And uh, he's going to come in and talk about what to be aware of for your own self-mental health, for your players, how to build stronger mental health among your team, which is going to promote greater team chemistry too. And uh, he is our primary, our, our first speaker, not primary speaker, our headline speaker. He's going to speak a couple of hours and with the question and answer period at the end. And then the next speaker is a, a young man that grew up around me named Adam Weingarten, who's a very successful high school coach in Alabama. He's going to talk about team culture and character development. And he runs a culture business. And he's been very successful at multiple high schools. Uh, he loves leadership, and uh, he's uh, been uh, sought after as becoming a leadership coach at the college level. And he's uh, chosen to stay at the high school level. He's going to talk about things that they do from their program standpoint to build a positive team culture, which really fits into the mindset of uh, mental health. And it all fits into uh, the basic health philosophy of uh, creating an atmosphere of needing to belong and be part of something that's where we're very important in the athletic end. The, the, the team business is, is very important in giving people identity and it makes for a better society, a better person. And, uh, and we need to develop our kids and we need to help our coaches. And uh, this is an awareness clinic and we're going to hopefully tag on to it and, and do it in other places, but also uh, bring into it a uh, nutritional aspect in the future and a physical aspect in the, and conditioning of what coaches can do for themselves and uh, just a resource clinic is a little bit different. Yeah. And I think it's definitely needed. I know in particular, um, particularly for us coaches on that, do we take care of our minds, particularly during the season and our bodies during the season? I mean, <laughs> the grind that we have to go through. Um, but I love the, you know, Adams, that team culture, mm -hmm. um, culture Trump strategy, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, um, I, I think what I think that's where basketball is a great game. Uh, I've had the team that had the one great player and uh, multiple role players and beaten teams with multiple great players. I've, I've been part of that and we had tremendous effort and great deal of team chemistry. And that goes back to culture. We didn't call it culture. We call it great environment or caring about mm -hmm. each other. Uh, just like we used to call it work and today we call it grind. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> We're using vocabulary words, and it's always been around. And uh, and yeah, and and it's uh, and and Kevin, what we got to understand is this: this deal with mental health is uh, at different layers and different realms and different um, parts of it. Because um, you'll have some players who uh, have some anxiety and some uh, everyday grief going on over tests and and dysfunction around their home, possibly, or just day to day anxiety. Then you'll have the kid who has tremendous anxiety that maybe is because of a chemical imbalance or because he's lived around some terrible conditions, you know, some terrible dysfunction. 
And you've got to, as a coach, you're supposed to be able to pick all that out and address that player and then turn around and be competitive. And, uh, and the more aware we are, the better we can handle those things and make ourselves uh, pull teams together. And, uh, and, and we as adults, I, I talked to a high school coach yesterday who talked about the anxiety of a highly competitive region championship game. And uh, he said it's not the same thing as having anxiety or being chemically imbalanced. He had been part of that in his life. And, you know, there, there's things out there I don't quite understand totally yet about it all. And maybe we'll – the more aware we become, the better we'll be able to deal with it for others and for ourselves too. Yeah, that's going to be a great resource for the coaches because I know we all have offense, defense, practice, all that. But do we have a mental health system for, yeah. for us? I don't think we do. <laughs> we, well, we probably don't have one identified. You probably have right. one, and you, and you might be doing it. You know, you know what's funny is you might be doing a real good job of it, and you might not even understand that you're doing a good job of it. Sure, sure. And, and awareness might just reinforce what you're doing, and that's what I found out. Uh, I always believed in uh, identity and being part of a team and players on a team taking care of each other, no matter if they're a freshman or senior. And those are good mental health uh, qualities for building uh, – the identity of being part of something. And uh, as I taught health and started recognizing I was doing some things right, I didn't even know I was doing right. And, uh, and, and we, we need that. And, uh, but we need to also differentiate when the person has a higher level issue, what can we do for them and where can we go? And coaches live in a world full of stress and they're trying to raise their families and they need to take care of themselves. And, uh, and we need to help them, you know, with the team, with their staffs, with themselves. Absolutely. Coach, how can we get a, how can we register for it? Uh, how can they contact you? Uh, give all the information for us coaches, how we can um, register and, and uh, get a hold of you. You know, it's funny. Uh, I never thought about that. We're, this is a free clinic. Uh, I was going to underwrite it myself because I've had some awareness going on in my life. And uh, I, I just was going to bring Doug in, the, the uh, psychologist and, and anatomy. And then, uh, then Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the northwest corner of the state has come in and underwritten it. So I don't have to worry about the financial piece at all. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're not asking coaches to pay anything at this time. We may ask for, you know, a donation or something if they want to down the road. The big thing is they can show up that day. And it's the 16th of November at Model High School Auditorium. And that's in Rome, a little bit north of Rome. And, uh, and we might move it to more central sites in the future, but this time it's going to take off there because we're getting a great deal of support from them. And uh, you can find it on Twitter. And, uh, it's been retweeted out several times, but I'm at – uh, Travis Milt uh, on Twitter, and uh, we put it on Facebook. The Northwest uh, uh, or the Rome Area Fellowship Christian Athletes, you could go to their site, uh, and they will have it on their site. Uh, Kent Howard is their leader. He's a young man that played college basketball, and he grew up around me. His dad was one of my mentors, and uh, he's very much a positive part of this. But there have been some other people put it out there. And um, and so it'll be I'm, – I'm putting it out there on a – every two or three days right now. Um, but I would love to send it to people like you and have you blast it out on the contacts you have and uh, just be aware of it. And if they want to reach me, they can uh, reach out to me at my phone number at 678-386-7921. And they can email me at milt.travis at gmail.com. And uh, love to hear from anybody that's interested in coming. And it's going to go that morning from uh, – I think we have it listed down at, from nine to twelve thirty, and uh, and it's going to be there, and it's uh, and we're expecting a, a good turnout and having uh, having a great time. So it's not just for your basketball coach either; it's for any coach or any educator, really. 
Yeah, and I and I actually would love to go to it. Can you let's say could we have a game on that day? Can you will we have access to the notes? Matter of fact, I'm gonna try to contact uh both Doug and Adam, try to get them on a podcast. Because I would That'd I would be, love to I would love to learn from them. Oh, th- those would be two great resources, uh, Kevin. That would be far both and I talk several times a week and Doug and I stay in touch and uh been dealing with Doug for seven years, and I've had everybody from a point guard. I've driven from Rome, Georgia, over to a uh, former professional athlete that I've taken to him, go to him, and uh, he is my resource. I can't diagnose or treat anybody that has any mental health problems, but I sure can find Doug Duke or somebody like him that will help them. And uh, so, yeah, those guys are tremendous. But uh, um, the notes, we're going to try to come up with something on that. That's just been a new idea that's come up in the last – two weeks and then a video of the, and if we get all that together, those will be free again. We, you know, we'll, we'll put all that out there and make it possible. And, and Doug's uh, already sought after a lot, but we're going to try to move him to different parts of the state. We're going to try to move it back over toward y'all's way for another clinic. Uh, Cause Doug's out of the Jefferson uh, Athens area. And uh, um, so we're going to do some stuff like that, but yeah, Thank you for asking those questions because uh, – and what I would like to do again is get some information to you about that and anybody wants it can reach out to it. Um, I want to say this, Kevin. I, I've had no less than uh, five people in the last four months that have had a mental health uh, stumbling block, and they're not mentally ill. They've suffered from something. I'm talking about in the athletic world, and uh, they range from a uh, from a young person participating to a uh, a older uh, – coach and that I've come in contact with that I've either taken to Doug Duke or we've gotten to somebody else. And, uh, we sometimes sweep this information on the rug, but it's, uh, these are people on the rebound. These are people that are regrouping and out there and functioning in a high level world, doing great things again. And they just hit a hit a bump. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. We would like to invite you to the Coach's Mindset Clinic held Saturday, November the 16th at 9 a.m. at Model High School in Rome, Georgia. This is sponsored by the Rome Area FCA, and there will be no cost. Feature speakers will be Doug Duke speaking on sports and mental health, and Adam Weingarten speaking on character development and team culture. If you have any other questions, please reach out to Milt Travis at 678-386-7921.